Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, our lesson will come from that chapter this morning. Luke 13. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This morning, I would like for us to spend some time talking about one of the most fascinating parables that Jesus ever told. It's found beginning in Luke chapter 13, verse six. It's the parable of the barren fig tree. Continue reading with me if you would, Luke 13, verse six. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it, alone, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. All of us have a need, because we're human beings, to make sense of what's going on around us. And especially we have a need to make sense of difficulties and tragedies that are happening. I'm not surprised that in the last couple of weeks as life has dramatically changed for people all over the globe that I've seen and heard people questioning, does God have a part in all this? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to the people that are being affected? What could God want out of all this? You know, that, those kinds of questions are not unusual. When you read in the Bible, you'll find that others centuries ago had the same kinds of questions in their time. When Job suffered tremendously, his friends came to him and they sat with him and after they thought that they had sat quietly long enough, Job's friends began to try to make sense of his circumstances. And what they ended up doing was accusing Job of sin. Job, you're, you're a sinner and that's why you're suffering so terribly. The same kind of thing happened to the man that was born blind in John chapter nine, verses one through five. He had been born blind and the disciples asked the question, Lord, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that this man was born blind? Who's responsible? Why did this happen? Indeed, here in Luke 13, some of the local news stories in Jerusalem were on the minds of the apostles. Look at Luke 13, verse one again. At that season, there were some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. You know what that means? Some people from Galilee had brought sacrifices to offer to God in the temple. And apparently in the midst of them offering their sacrifices, the Roman soldiers had cut them down had murdered them. Pilate was responsible. And so the way the Bible describes it, 
Pilate had mingled their blood with their sacrifices. And everybody in Jerusalem was wondering, why did God let this happen? Why did God allow some people who came to worship to be cut down in the midst of their worship? Another news story that was circulating in Jerusalem was about a tower, a tower in a place called Siloam. And as you look at verse four, there was this tower that had been built and it had fallen. Don't know the circumstances beyond this, but 18 people had lost their lives. And there in Jerusalem, people were abuzz about the tower of Siloam that had fallen and killed 18 people tragically. And so these things were on people's minds. And their questions were like the questions of Job's friends and the questions of the disciples. Their questions were, why has this happened to us? Why did those Galileans die in the middle of worship? Why did the tower fall on 18 people and kill them? Were they sinners? Is that the reason? Is it because God was angry with them and he was punishing them? What are the reasons? I find it interesting as you read Luke 13, one through five, to notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus had miraculous divine insight and yet Jesus did not try to explain why these things happened. You notice that? I find it interesting, secondly, that even though he didn't try to explain why these things happened, what he did say is repeated. Look at verse three and look at verse five of Luke 13. I tell you no, but unless you repent, Jesus says, you will all likewise perish. And he repeats it in verse five. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. When the Bible says something once, it's important. When the Bible repeats itself verbatim, you really ought to pay attention. And here is the Lord Jesus Christ telling his audience that in the midst of these stories about people dying tragically, unless they repent, they would all likewise perish. It's under those circumstances that Jesus gave the parable of the barren fig tree. The parable is interesting because it is a, it's a description of God's disappointment with Israel. As you read the parable in verses six through nine, Israel is the fig tree and the vineyard owner, the one who planted the vineyard is God. God planted Israel in the very best place and gave them every advantage that a tree would need to grow and to be fruitful. But Israel had failed to bear fruit. And so God had said, I'm going to cut it down. The one who argued in favor of Israel remaining is the Lord, verse eight. Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. We're gonna do more for the tree than we've ever done before. And if it bears fruit well, verse nine, but if not, after that, cut it down. The parable is a warning. It's a warning to the Israelites in the days of Jesus. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And while the warning is given to the nation of Israel in the days of Christ that they needed to repent and they needed to believe the gospel, the kingdom of Christ, which was at hand. It's also a warning to you and me. 
all around we see and hear people saying, why are these things, these tragic things happening in people's lives? What do these news stories mean? Can someone provide some context? Can we get some divine insight into what we need to do and why these things are occurring? But I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus did not give the answer to the question why. What Jesus did give was a warning to repent. And that's the warning that we need to hear this morning. Think with me for just a few moments about what we can learn from the parable of the barren fig tree, the tree that would not bear fruit. In the first place, watch this. The tree was not useful. The tree was not useful. If you look at John chapter 15, verses five through eight, it is very clear that God expects trees to bear fruit. He expected Israel to bear fruit to his glory, to hear his words, to heed his prophets, and most of all, to heed the voice of his son, Jesus Christ. But they would not do that. In the same vein, God wants you and me to listen to him. And by listening and obeying his word, we bear fruit as well. In John 15, verses five through eight, Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. It is an evidence that we abide in Christ. The fact that we bear fruit is evidence that we glorify him, that we're connected to the Savior. Listening to his message, listening to his teaching and bearing fruit, that's God's will for us. Are you bearing fruit? If not, you're like that barren fig tree, useless, not useful in the Lord's purposes. The Bible says in Luke 13, verse six, he came seeking fruit and found none. If you've ever planted a fruit tree, maybe in your yard, and you hope and you, you long for that tree to bear fruit, after a few years of being patient and waiting on that tree to bear fruit, after a few years, what are you inclined to do? Well, I'm not gonna let that tree stay. That tree's not doing what it's designed to do. I don't know why the tree's not bearing fruit, but I know that I planted it with a purpose in mind. Brothers and sisters and friends, God plants us with a purpose in mind. And the purpose that he gives us is that we might be fruit bearers. That's the message of Jesus in John 15, and that's the message of the barren fruit fig tree. God wants fruit bearers. There are four areas of our lives where we need to think about bearing fruit. In the first place, we ought to bear fruit in our relationship to God. We ought to bear fruit in our relationship to God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew 22, verse 37. Is it obvious by your life, by your devotion to Him, by the time you spend in His Word, by your prayers, is it obvious that you're devoted to Him? Area number two, we ought to bear fruit in our personal character. We ought to bear fruit in our personal character. There are rough edges that all of us have. And part of bearing fruit means that we allow the Word of God to steadily chip away at those rough edges until God molds us into the image of His Son, Romans 8 verse 29. The fruit of the Spirit is about our character. Love, joy, peace, patience, those things, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Character. Are you bearing fruit in your personal character? Area number three, 
we bear fruit in our love for the saints. A special kind of love because we share in each other's burdens, because we share a common savior, we've been bought by a common blood. First John chapter one, verse seven, fellowship because of his blood. Do we have fruit in our love for the saints? Is it evident in your life that you care about the church, that you care about the people of God? That's how you bear fruit. Area number four, our love for the lost. We are to bear fruit in bringing souls to Jesus. Proverbs 11 verse 30, he who wins souls is wise. God is looking at your life and mine just as he was looking at the nation of ancient Israel and God is looking for fruit. And notice that when you look at the parable of the barren fig tree, there is a clear connection between repentance and fruit bearing. Jesus mentions repentance in verse three and five. He mentions bearing fruit in verses six and nine. There's a connection. All of us ought to examine our lives. We ought to look at areas where we're not bearing fruit and we ought to repent. We ought to begin to bear fruit to the glory of God. This tree was useless as long as it refused to bear fruit. And after all, that was its entire purpose for being planted. That's your purpose as well. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, the Bible says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. We're created to bear fruit. Second, as you look at the parable of the barren fig tree, this tree that refused to bear fruit and the vineyard owner just couldn't figure out why this tree wouldn't bear fruit. Not only was it not useful, but watch this, it hindered good from being done. Look at verse seven of Luke 13. He said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Other translations say it cumbereth the ground. It's an old word, but the idea is the vineyard owner saying, I could plant a better tree here. How long am I supposed to be patient with this tree? It's using up resources. It's using up the nourishment that the ground provides. It's using up the sunlight. It's using up space in my garden. How long am I going to be patient with it without giving another an opportunity? We need to remember that sometimes we get kind of selfish and we look at our lives and we say, well, I'm not bearing much fruit, but you know, I'm really not hurting anybody. I'm not doing anything that's really causing a problem for others. The Bible says, no, that's not true. The Bible says that God has blessed us and he has richly given us opportunities to serve and obey him. And as long as we spurn those opportunities, not only are we hurting ourselves, but we are hurting others around us. We are affecting them. We're causing good to be hindered from being done. When you think about opportunities that God gives us, opportunities, we can do four things with, or three things with those. We can miss opportunities. Sometimes we don't bear fruit because we just, we're not looking for opportunities to bear fruit. May God open our eyes and help us to see how he can use us to bear fruit in his service. Let's not miss opportunities to do good. 
But not only can opportunities be missed, they can be ignored. Oftentimes, we just look at an opportunity and we continue on our way. We don't have to take every opportunity to do good, by the way. You think about those apostles in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. There was an opportunity to help the Grecian widows who were being neglected, remember? And the apostles said, no, this is a good opportunity, but we're telling the church to look for seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom that we may appoint over this business because we, the apostles, we have a prior commitment. We must give ourselves to the word of God and prayer, the ministry of the word and prayer. We don't have to take advantage of every good opportunity, but we need to be careful when we start ignoring opportunities repeatedly. When there are opportunities to do good and we just say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ignore it. James chapter 4 verse 17 tells us the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Not only that, we can just reject opportunities. The opportunity's presented to me. Somebody's asking for my help. I have it within my power to give help and I'm just going to say no. For my own selfish reasons, for my own selfish purposes, I don't see my life as a part of the plan of God. I don't see my role as bearing fruit to God. I'm going to say no without any reason why except that I'm being selfish. But here, the parable of the barren fig tree. Those who do not bear fruit, not only are they useless in the the service of God, but the Bible says that they actually hinder good from being done. Notice third, as you look at the parable of the barren fig tree, this tree invited its own destruction by refusing to do what a tree is supposed to do. In Matthew 7 verse 19, every tree that does not bear fruit shall be cut down and thrown into the fire. Why? Because the tree was supposed to be bearing fruit. It didn't do so. It's useless. It has invited its own destruction. When you find a tree that's supposed to be doing something, supposed to be bearing fruit, it's supposed to be yielding something, and steadfastly it refuses. Who's at fault? Who's to blame? The Bible indicates in Luke chapter 13, verse verse 7, this tree had only itself to blame. It condemned itself. John 15, 6, we don't bear fruit. Again, the idea, cut down and thrown in the fire. So the question is, who's to blame for this tree's destruction? The answer is the tree invited its own destruction. The day of judgment's coming for all of us. We're going to stand before God and we're going to give an answer for how we have lived our lives. Every one of us is going to have to speak to our Creator directly. God put us here to bear fruit. Who's to blame if we hear the words on that day, depart from me into everlasting darkness, I never knew you? Who's to blame? Whose responsibility is it? We can't blame our parents. We can't blame our spouse. We can't blame the church. We can't blame other influences in our lives. Certainly we can point to all of those entities and we can say, well, maybe there was a part that this entity had in influencing me. We might be able to say that, 
But when it comes to doing the right thing, listen to me, you are the only one who can choose to do the right thing. I can't choose that for you. Your loved ones can't choose that for you. You're the only one that can make the decision to obey Almighty God. You're the only one who has that ability. This tree failed to bear fruit and therefore this tree had no one to blame except itself. It's not that it lacked resources. It's not that it lacked blessings. This tree had everything it needed. And by not bearing fruit, it had nothing but itself to blame. By not bearing fruit in your life, the same is true. You have no one but yourself to blame. Next, as you look at the parable of the barren fig tree, Jesus indicates that our God is a patient God. Oh, how we ought to thank our God for being patient with us. When you look at verse 7, three years in the parable, three years I've come looking for fruit, and it still is yielding none. And yet the one who pleads with the vineyard owner says in verse 8, Sir, leave it for one more year. We're going to dig around it. We're going to fertilize it. Give it another year. And the vineyard owner presumably agrees that that's a good idea. The patience of God is in view. This world's going to come to an end one day. One of the questions people sometimes ask is, well, why hasn't it? Things have been going on as they are for 2,000 years since the events of the New Testament took place. Why hasn't God ended the world? Why does the globe continue to spin? In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the scripture says, God is long-suffering toward us, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isn't that interesting in 2 Peter 3, verse 9? God's patience with the world is about repentance. That sounds exactly like what Jesus is saying in Luke 13, 1 through 9. Jesus is saying, God's being patient with you because he wants you to repent. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You know what repentance is? Changing our mind. Changing our mind and that leading to a change of heart and that leading to a change of lifestyle, a change of action. God is watching your life and he's saying one of the reasons why the world hasn't come to an end is because I want you to repent. I want you to change. I'm waiting for that. I'm longing for that. But you're like the barren fig tree that's not bearing fruit. I'm watching you. I'm looking for fruit in your life. I'm looking for the idea that, that something has changed and something is different because of the gospel and because of Jesus Christ. God is patient. Not only is he patient, he gives us everything we need to be successful fruit bearers. Look at verse 8 again. Let's, let's dig around, let's fertilize. The ESV says let's put manure on it very best fertilizer they knew how to use. Let's give this tree every opportunity, every advantage. If the fig tree doesn't bear fruit, it's not because it didn't have what it needed. If you don't bear fruit, it's not because you don't have what you need. The psalmist said in Psalm 1 verses 1 through 4, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. 
And in Psalm 1 verse 3, he says, that man, the one who delights in the law of the Lord, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and shall bring forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf shall not wither. Everything he does shall prosper. God has given his people, he's given all people, everything we need to bear fruit to him. And so we need to see because of the patience of God that every moment that we live is an opportunity. The psalmist prayed in Psalm 90 verse 12, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. In Ephesians 5 verse 16, Paul said, redeem the time for the days are evil. God is patient with us. But God's patience can be exhausted. God's patience will come to an end one day. Three years seeking fruit, verse 7. Give it one more year, verses 8 and 9. But if it doesn't bear fruit in this last year, then cut it down. What's Jesus saying? What's he indicating to us? That yes, God is patient, but no, God's patience will not last forever. Give it one more year. When we stop and examine our lives, does my life show, does your life show that I'm devoted to God, that, that I'm growing in my character? Is my love for the saints, the people of God, evident as fruit in my life? Do I demonstrate that in practical, tangible ways? Is my love for the lost, for the dying, for the helpless, evident by the way that I'm living my life? Is there fruit? God's watching for those things in our lives. He's watching for those things in your life. How long are you going to try his patience? There are warnings throughout the Bible of impending judgment. Just one chapter previous to this, in Luke chapter 12, verse 20, there was a man who was distracted by a lot of amusements. He had a crop and he needed a place to store his crops and he was going to build barns and he was going to be set for life. Don't need anything. Soul, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. God called him a fool, Luke 12, verse 20, and told him that that very night his soul would be required of him. What if today is your day? What if today is my day? We need to remember our soul. One day it's going to be required of us. What kind of fruit are you bearing? In the book of Amos, people were living in luxury. They were enjoying a leisurely lifestyle. And the prophet Amos came among a extravagant people and he proclaimed, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Amos 4 verse 12. You're living a life full of amusements and distractions and you're not giving proper thought to the fruit that you need to be bearing. Prepare to meet your God. And that was not going to be a pleasant meeting in Amos 4 verse 12. Paul spoke to the wisest philosophers that earth had to offer in his day. And as he concluded his sermon in Acts 17 verse 30, he proclaimed a judgment day, a day which God had designed in which he was going to judge the world in righteousness. And God gave a guarantee that that day is going to happen by raising Jesus from the dead. So people came asking Jesus about the Galileans who had died while they were sacrificing to God. And Jesus mentioned the 18 that had been killed by the Tower of Siloam. And if Jesus were present and, and, and talking to us right now, he would talk about the people that are passing away. It's a tragedy to be sure. 
But his message, what he had to say to the world had to do with repentance and fruit bearing rather than explanation. And so, the last point for our study this morning. Yes, God's patience can be exhausted, but some explanations are God's alone. Some explanations are God's alone. Jesus never told us why those Galileans died. He never told us why those people that the tower fell upon died. He never explained all those details. Here's what we can know about God. He deals justly. Genesis 18 verse 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Our God deals in justice, in righteousness, in fairness with all. He treats everyone with justice. We also know this, whatever is happening in our world around us, the church that Jesus built is the epicenter of God's purposes. I don't know what confining two to three billion people to their homes, I don't know what that's intended by God to accomplish, but I know this, I know it somehow has to do with salvation and the church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3 verses 9 and 10 tells us everything God has done in world history can all be summed up from the beginning of time all the way down to to today. It can all be summed up in what God has done through Christ in the church. We need to think about how the church fits into the picture of what's happening around us because that's what God is thinking about. Never forget this. The gospel is God's message and the world needs to hear it more than ever before. People came asking Jesus, why did these terrible things happen? And Jesus said, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. In all of our neighborhoods over the last couple of weeks, there have been a lot of people out walking around, people stopping and talking to their neighbors, people visiting, tuning in to what's going on with the people that live right across the street, things like that. That's happening in almost everyone's neighborhood. Have you given any thought to the gospel in some of those conversations? Have you given any thought to bearing fruit to God? He's watching you. You're like a fig tree. God wants all of us to bear fruit to his glory. What are you doing on earth for heaven's sake? This morning, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not entirely clear what this fruit bearing is all about. I want you to hear what God's will is for you. This is what he's watching for in your life. This is what he's looking for. He's planted you and he's given you every opportunity for success, for glorification of him. Here's how it happens. We must believe on Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. I bear fruit to God. I begin to do that when I believe. God's will for me is that I repent. Repentance is like backing up, throwing the car into reverse. Cars are meant to go forwards. That's the way they're built. They're meant to go one direction, but sometimes you go the wrong direction. Sometimes you need to point the front end of the car in a different direction. Repentance is when we back up 
I want to change my direction. I've been going this way, but I realize that unless I repent, I'm going to perish. I want to back up and go God's way. God's will for you is that you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He wants to hear those words from your lips. God's will for you is that you be immersed, baptized in water. And the reason why you need to be baptized is for the purpose of the remission of sins. In Acts 22 verse 16, Saul of Tarsus was told, Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We're going to sing a song here in just a moment. Maybe you have questions about some of the things that we've been talking about this morning. After we're baptized, God wants us to go on bearing fruit. He wants us to live a life of devotion, a life of love, a life of commitment. If you have questions about these matters, send an email or get in contact with either myself or Jordan Moore, our associate minister here at Katy. We'd be thrilled to talk with you, to help you. Let's sing a song and let's think about our lives and whether we're bearing fruit that pleases God. Let's sing together. Oh,